If you don't know it, you have been tricked this morning. You should never come to church the week after Christmas because we're going to talk about stewardship, which is code for money, which is pretty much everyone's favorite topic of conversation. Most of us are waiting for the Christmas cards to come in and see what damage we've done. Uh, In the last month, if you went somewhere, you're going to find out how much you spent on food, how much you spent on gas, uh, and that might lead to some uh, combustible conversations in your home. Uh, We're going to talk about stewardship, and so uh, Webster is going to define stewardship as the careful and responsible, see we're already starting off bad, careful and responsible, both bad words, careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. A steward is someone who carefully and thoughtfully manages something that has been entrusted into their care. Now, usually, if you're going to hear a sermon on stewardship, it's going to precede some sort of capital campaign, right? We're going to build a new building, we're going to talk about stewardship, and then we're all going to give, and hurrah. So relax. To the best of my knowledge, there are no building projects on the horizon. You might hear it at the end of the calendar year when a budget is short. Some of you have email inboxes filled with organizations that maybe you've looked into or maybe you once gave to, and they're all reminding you this week it's not too late to make a difference in 2018. Again, just we can relax. Church budget's in good shape. Good time to talk about stewardship. Purpose of talking about it is, is one, because the Bible says a whole lot about money, a whole lot about our hearts as it relates to money. So we, we can't skip over it. Uh, two, for many of us, our souls, our hearts are like the entryway closet at our home, filled with junk, filled with jackets. If guests are coming over, the vacuum goes in there, toys go in there, everything goes in there, they're full. Maybe the spare bedroom closet in your house. And so somehow we've got to untangle our hearts. Somehow we've got to untangle, declutter our souls so that we can see Jesus. So that we can trust less in what we have and trust more in our Savior. So that we can be led, not by long-term financial planning, be led by His Spirit. As we declutter, we create space to see Him, to savor Him to savor our salvation, to savor his work, to see his worth in his work, in his word, and in our lives. Some of you know that our family moved this year, and and so in moving, uh, we had the conversation of maybe we'd like to get some animals, maybe we'd like to try something new. Uh, And when we did that, we shared with some of you what we were thinking, and that's kind of our pattern. We're going to tell a whole bunch of people before we do something so that you can correct us and save us from mistakes. Um, We still made a lot of mistakes, but you saved us from some. One of you said, do you have any tansy ragwort on your property? He said, what'd you call me? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, there's a yellow flower, tansy ragwort, that is toxic to livestock and agriculture and can be toxic to humans through food chain uh, contaminants. Uh, we didn't know that. So something detrimental to our plans, something detrimental to our animals existed and we weren't even aware of it, right? Uh, and so as we think about stewardship and as we think about wealth and we, th- we think about work, all these things that are intertwined, we've just got to be aware that with this topic exists something that can be detrimental to our faith, 
can be detrimental to loving Jesus. And many of us aren't even aware of it. Many of us, like that tansy ragworm, aren't even aware of it. I thought it was a pretty flower. Some of us aren't even aware of it. Uh, how do we know it's dangerous? Well, First uh, Timothy 6.10, Paul says the love of money, not money, there's a difference, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Jesus says it's easier for a rich man, or it's easier for a camel, a big animal, to go through the eye of a needle, a very small thing, than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a, it's a big deal. So as we think about stewardship, this idea of responsible and careful management of something entrusted to us, how do we build a framework from God's word about uh, how we're to look at work and the wealth that work uh, yields? To start off, I'd like to go to Genesis chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 1, 26 through 31 is where we're going to start. This passage is sometimes referred to as the creation mandate, in a sense, this uh, command to work, to rule, to subdue the land. Uh, but I want to just start off and, and say, God owns everything, we own nothing, and he's given us work as a good thing. Genesis 1, 26-31 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 30, and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So as we get started with stewardship, just clearly from God's word, he created it all and he owns it all okay he created it all and he owns it all so if he owns it all there's nothing that we can give to him to increase his holdings there's nothing that we can give to him to where we can say check that out god you're welcome some of you had kids buy uh, you christmas gifts uh, my son bought me rubber work boots now didn't i buy those rubber work boots for myself he doesn't have a job he doesn't make any money doesn't do much work. <laughs> Actually, he does. He does really well. If you see him, high-five him. He's not in here. Good. I bought those workbooks. The money came out of my account and then returned to me in the form of green workbook, work boots. He's not able to buy for me something that increases my holdings because everything that he has at his disposal was given to him by me for the purpose of buying me green work boots. As we think about the things that we have, we've, we've just got to understand that there's nothing that we can give to the Lord that increases his holdings. There's nothing that we can give to the Lord that puts him in our debt. There's nothing that we can give to him that puts him in our debt. In fact, 
Some of you that maybe have watched uh, church services uh, online or all sorts of different things, you might have heard someone say, put $100 in an envelope and send it to this ministry and God will give you back tenfold in the next year. There's nothing that you can give to the Lord to increase his holdings. There's nothing that you can give to the Lord to put him in your debt. Give to something you want to give to, but don't give to get tenfold back financially from the Lord. That is a manipulative distortion of God's word. Don't, don't do it. That could be a tangent. We're going to keep going on this way. He owns everything. He owns everything, so I own nothing. I'm a, I'm a steward, right? Uh, someone who carefully and responsibly manages something entrusted to my care. Uh, stewards manage. Uh, the master uh, lends. Uh, stewards uh, receive whatever they're given. The, the, the master decides how much to give, when to give it, and, and to whom. Uh, the steward works for his master's glory, works for a return for his master, works for his master's recognition. The master is worthy of the return and the glory and the recognition. It's important to pause with this uh, steward-master comparison um, because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're going to see a lot of areas of our life where we want to be the master. We want to be number one. One of the ways that you'll see this is is you'll take ownership, you'll take possession uh, of everything that you have. And it will be in your heart, it'll be in your nature to take credit uh, for how you got it. My hard work, right? It's my thoughtful saving all these years. It was my decision to make that investment. So we'll take ownership of what we have. We'll take credit for having it, for how we got it, and, and what do we want to do with it. Whatever I want to do. It's mine. Right? You can go back in the toddler room. It's mine. Last thought on Genesis 1. Um, God created the world, created all things. He owns it all. Uh, We own nothing. The hot rod in the garage, I don't own it. You don't own it. I'm a steward. You're a steward. The house, I don't own it. You don't own it. We're a steward. The uh, pension, 401k, the retirement account, the checking account, the savings account, I don't own it. You don't own it. I'm a steward. You're a steward. Uh, ultimately, our work and our wealth are a means of enjoying God's good gifts and worshiping him as the good gift giver. Uh, Ultimately, our our work and our wealth are means of enjoying God's good gifts and worshiping the good gift giver and uh, the gifts that he has given to us. And and so one of the things that does is it changes the way that we look at our work. Uh, Some of us are inclined to believe that our work is less meaningful than others if we make less. Some of us are inclined to believe that what we do is less significant if it's not given the same social status as another profession. And so I hope that what you see is that uh, when God commands us to work, when God commands us to be a steward, when God gives us dominion over everything that moves and lives and breathes and creeps on the ground and everything that has seeds, and the call to rule and to subdue that is, is to say that work is, is a meaningful way to engage with our Father, to engage with the Creator. It's an aspect of a worship. It's a way that we relate to Him in the sense that we come to know who He is and who we are, that work inherently is good. And so in moral work, there is no ins- insignificant job. 
And so one of the things that we, we struggle with as, as people is, is what I'm doing meaningful? Is what I'm doing significant? Is what I'm doing something that, that really matters? Because no, what no matter what your title, no matter what your job, you could work in the home, out of the home, no matter what you do, you, you want to believe that what you're doing matters for something. And so it's only in, in the context of faith, it's only in the context of a Christian worldview where we see that work is not just a means to an end, not just means to food on the table, but that work can be worship as unto the Lord, as walking and fulfilling a command uh, that he has given us to walk in. What if rather than asking, does my work fulfill me? What, is, what if we didn't ask, uh, does my work fulfill me? Does it reward me like I think it should? Does it challenge me like I think it should? Uh, what if meaning was not derived from what we did? What if meaning was derived from who we did it for, from how we did it? from who we did it for, and from how we did it. So the question then as we move on is, how do we, how do we begin to walk in stewardship, embracing work and the wealth it yields as something, as a way to relate to the Lord, as a gift from Him, an opportunity to, uh, to know our, our, our Savior and to walk in His ways. Um, let's turn to Matthew 6, 19 through 24. There's some stewardship talk in Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Uh, and essentially the idea is uh, start laying up treasures in heaven. Less focus on treasure here, more focus on treasure heaven. Less focus on uh, today, more focus with the end in mind. Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 24. Uh, verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So if you watch the news, you know that a lot of people lost their home in paradise. We know that our possessions can disappear very quickly, right? We, we've seen the hurricanes. Everything can wash away in a matter of minutes, in a matter of hours. We understand that, that our possessions are temporary. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy where thieves do not break in and steal verse 21 for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Uh, verse 22 the eye is the lamp of the body so if your eye is healthy the whole body will be full of light if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh, but verse 24, no one, no, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Verse 19 issues a prohibition. Do not store up treasures here on earth. How do you know if you're someone who stores up treasures here on earth? Because it's not about how many cars do you own, how many tools do you have in your garage. It's not, there's not a dollar amount that we qualify these things. The Lord is, is virtually never interested in the dollar amount, virtually always interested in our hearts. Virtually never interested in the dollar amount, virtually always interested in our hearts. So how do we, how do we qualify this? And what do you fixate on? What do you daydream about getting? What do you daydream about doing? When you get online and, and surf the net to kill time, what are you looking for? What are you researching? Looking to upgrade? Bigger house? New engine and something? 
it's not what I look for, but I, engines are in cars. What validates your worth as a person? What gives you a sense of satisfaction? Like all these long hours are worth it because I have this, because I'm able to do this for my family. I'm able to take the kids here because I'm able to afford this. What validates your success at work? Causes you to feel better about who you are. Causes you to put a little pep in your step. For many of us, the answer to that question is earthly treasure. For many of us, the answer, uh, even at, at Christmas time, was not necessarily what we gave, but it was maybe something that we got. I remember in high school, the best gift I've ever gotten from my parents, a CD player in my car and new speakers. 1988 Escort has never sounded so good. Coolest gift I ever got. I felt instantly cooler the next day driving to school with my Christian music turned up. I'm sure everyone thought it was cool too. I've told you that Nicole got me a chainsaw for Father's Day. Manly. Instantly more manly. I remember the first car that we ever bought that didn't have over 100,000 miles on it. 2005 Toyota Corolla S for sport. Instantly more of a success. I'm able to drive a car that is most likely not going to break down. Isn't it a terrible way to go through life, uh, to be chasing shiny new toys, to feel better about ourselves based on what we have, what we can buy, or, uh, what we have been given, uh, to feel more manly, to feel cooler, to feel better about ourselves, more confident in who we are because of what we have. And so we, we just have to see this in our hearts, See the sin that is there, the self-idolatry that is there, and understand that Jesus came to set us free. So he came to set us free from trying to prove ourselves to be someone that we aren't. He came to set us free from us trying to buy joy or happiness that we can't afford or pay for or buy. came to set us free from chasing something that we can never get our arms around. As we understand, as it becomes not just something that we know with our heads, but something that we know in our hearts, uh, that Jesus is everything that we need, that he met our biggest need, you'll be amazed at how you will start to need earthly treasures less. Still enjoy them, but you will need them less because they aren't tools to prop up a fragile ego or to validate working too much or to promote uh, yourself or give you a greater sense of self-worth. Verse 19 says, Don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and where rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why do we got to talk about money? Why do we got to talk about stewardship? Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also and God's after our hearts. Some of us think God's after our wallets. God's not after your wallet. He's got enough. Church isn't after your wallet. Church has enough. God's after our hearts. Verse 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one or you will love the other, or you will be devoted to one and you will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So how do we lay up, how do we lay up treasure in heaven? How do we walk 
in this idea of stewardship. Careful and thoughtful management of what the Lord has entrusted to us as stewards, not as owners. Not as owners who take possession, not as owners who take credit, not as owners who dictate what we'll do with what we have as stewards. Uh, First, pursue success. Success is not a bad thing. Success, by the world standards, is not a bad thing. Money is not a bad thing. The love of it is. But pursue success as unto the Lord. If our work is worship, if our work is an aspect of what it means to be created in the image of God and to fulfill the commands given at creation, then our work is worship. So worship well. Pursue success by honest means. Uh, what, are, what are honest means? Uh, well, uh, can you pursue worshipful uh, success and keep your integrity intact? Are you lying on your taxes? Are you lying on your time card and stealing from your employee, employer? Uh, are you cheating your clients in some way, shape, or form? Can you pursue success by honest means? Is your character intact? How about, uh, are you taking advantage of others? Some of you are very familiar with the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is, is just is an awesome book, right? We understand that wisdom comes from the Lord, not from just being pragmatic. Uh, and, and so when we go to him as the source of wisdom, then the book unfolds as here's what it looks like to walk according to this God who is wise, Proverbs uh, 22:13 says, "Whoever oppresses the poor for his own increase, and whoever gives to the rich, both come to poverty." So the Bible is littered with descriptions of how God's people are to take care of each other and to take care of the needy in their midst. Part of that is not taking advantage of the needy for our own increase. How do we pursue success by honest means? Are you giving up something of more value to get something of lesser value? Are you losing your family by working so hard to try to put a better roof over their heads? Are you losing your kids working so hard to try to pay for college or some expensive sports or music or some sort of opportunity for them, right? Our our kids need us, not a new car at 16. They need us. Us in their lives, not not shiny toys. If you find yourself in that spot today, I would say take an inventory, take a be introspective, and and then ask yourself and say, Lord, help me to understand why I've been willing to give up good things for lesser things. Show me why this is a trade that has has made sense. That this has been something I've been willing. Uh, to give up. So pursue success by honest means and use everything for the glory of God. Now, use everything for the glory of God is very ambiguous. Uh, if you're like me, uh, I, want, I want a checklist of how to make a decision so that I can come to the outcome and say that decision clearly honors the Lord because it met these 10 criteria. So I'm not going to give you that today because you can spend very little money and be very materialistic. <laughs> You can spend a lot of money and have the most beautifully pure heart imaginable. You can receive a very inexpensive gift and be very materialistic and very sinful in your receipt of that very inexpensive gift. You can receive a very expensive gift, 
And again, have the most beautiful and pure heart uh, imaginable. It's not about a dollar amount, right? God's not after dollar amount. It's about our hearts. So here's, a, here's just a, a general blanket statement. If you can afford it, if you can enjoy it as a gift from the Lord that leads you to worship Him, not validate or elevate yourself, go for it. If you can afford it and you can enjoy it as a gift from the Lord that leads you to worship Him, not elevate and validate yourself, go for it. Church, there's freedom in Christ. That applies to so many different things, but one of the things that as a church, not necessarily we as this church only, but as the church struggles to do, is it struggles to allow each other to walk in freedom. What's more common is we look at people and say, can you believe they drive that? Can you believe that they live there? Can you believe they spent that much money? on? Can you believe they took that vacation? Do you know how much it costs to go there and, and stay at that place? Oh, we point the finger so much. We don't allow each other to live in the freedom of Christ. Even as I was preparing to talk on stewardship, I was listening to someone who I really enjoy listening to, and, and he was talking about stewardship and what it looks like in their life and family. And the very first thought I had was, sure, Talk about stewardship when you make hundreds of thousands of dollars selling books. Probably really hard to give when you make hundreds of thousands of dollars selling books. Oh, and you also get to speak all around the country on any given weekend for tens of thousands of dollars. Tell me how hard it is to invest for the kingdom when you're just swimming in boatloads of money. It's got to be it's really hard, I'm sure. I'm sure. Keep talking. Tell me how hard it is. And at the end of, at the, end of the talk, the person said, one of the things that we decided to do a long time ago, our family decided to do, he says, is we decided to uh, set a fixed amount of what percent of our income we would live on and the rest we we're going to give away. And he said, everything that we may have made from book royalties or from speaking engagements, we decided that we would just ask those people to cut the checks directly to the church. It would go to the church. We wouldn't see it. We wouldn't touch it. And he wasn't saying, look at me. He wasn't saying, you know, just just follow my lead. What he was saying is, is my heart is so corrupt. My heart is so wicked. My heart loves shiny new things. And I knew that if I got my hands on that money, it would be corrupting to my soul. He's not saying... Look at me, look at me. He said, I know my heart. I've got to declutter. I've got to uh, untangle from the love of wealth. And so I can't even have that money in uh, my possession. And so I'm thinking, oh, nice job, Nathan. Pointing the finger for 45 minutes. And then uh, uh, by, based on just what you saw and assumptions that you made only to find out that this person is serving the Lord, loving the Lord and honoring the Lord uh, as a family with their finances, way to go. Freedom in Christ. Nice job. If you're someone that, that points the finger, if you're someone that finds yourself constantly doing that, I would just say, take an introspective moment. Ask the Lord, why does it bother me so much what they do, what they spend their money on? Am I jealous? Am I coveting? Um, do I know what it means to walk in the freedom of Christ myself? Why, can't, why, why do I seem to be bent on um, judging everyone else and saying, you're not, you're not, you're not, and pointing the finger at myself, saying, you know, go me. Take an introspective moment, and, and just ask the Lord to show you uh, what's in your heart, because we are, we are free in Christ. 
here's a couple other tools that might be useful to you. If the expense keeps you from being able to give generously, if it keeps you from being able to give sacrificially, if it keeps you from being able to give cheerfully, probably a bad choice. If spending money in some way, shape, or form keeps you from being able to give generously, sacrificially, and joyfully, it's probably not something you should spend your money on. If the expense creates tension in your heart, if you already have unrest about it, it might be the Spirit of the Lord saying, pause. If you're buying something to make yourself feel better about who you are, to validate your existence, to show your worth, to validate your long hours, maybe it's, maybe it's a bad expense. If it creates bad debt, some debt's unavoidable. Some of you here have incredible amounts of medical debt. There's nothing you could have done to avoid that. But debt that comes from trying to live above our means, that's bad debt. If the expense creates bad debt, it's probably a bad decision. Um, how many of you know that the debt is just enslaving? It's dominating. It's, cr- it's an incredible weight. It's very hard to live free in Christ when you're under the weight of debt. It's very hard to give generous, generously, sacrificially, or cheerfully when you're burdened under the weight of debt. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. Nothing is going to have power over me. Nothing is going to have control over me. I mean, you know, debt is incredibly controlling. In a room this size, there's a lot of families massively burdened by debt right now. And so I would just say debt counseling, financial counseling, that is a good thing. It is a real thing. It is a useful thing. Uh, some of us, the response today is to get help. Uh, Proverbs 12:15 says, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to counsel. A wise man listens to counsel. If you're here this morning and you are under the weight of debt or under the weight of a bunch of financial uh, mistakes, just write on your communications card and throw it in the offering bag at the end of the service. Financial counseling. <laughs> help. You can just write help with an exclamation mark. Financial counseling is a real thing. It is a good thing. The fool says, uh, the way of a fool is right in their own eyes, but the wise man is one who listens to counsel. How do we walk in this idea of stewardship? Build up treasures in heaven. Pursue success uh, by honest means, using everything we have for the glory of God. Turn to Proverbs 27, if you would. I want to read verses 23 and 24. I want you to just to see a little bit more stewardship talk uh, from the book of Proverbs. A little bit more wisdom here. Proverbs 27, 23, and 4 says this. It says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds for riches do not last forever and does a crown endure to all generations. In other words, pay attention to what you have, pay attention to what you own, take care of it because riches don't last forever. Uh, Seasons come, seasons go, times change. So pay attention to what you have. As we think about financial stewardship, create a budget, live on a budget, Stick to a budget. Have a conversation with your spouse. Plan something together. If we can't save anything of what we make, 
we are going to have nothing to invest for the kingdom. Some of us are uh, upside down uh, financially. Our financial boat is sinking, and we don't even know where the holes are in the boat. We just know water's coming in. We don't even know where the holes are. A budget helps you discover where the holes are. A budget helps with restraining yourself in some ways. It's a bad word and a really good word. Budget helps you create margin to be generous, right? It's one thing to say, I want to give generously. I want to give cheerfully. It's an entirely different thing to rework a budget, to create financial margin from which I can actually live out generosity. Make a budget. Stick to it. If we can't save some of what we make, we'll have nothing to invest for eternity. In Acts 2, the apostles are talking and they talk about themselves as steward. And and the sense of the text is, what is the purpose of a steward? What is the role of a steward? What is the job of a steward? What does a steward most want? And the answer is to be found faithful. To be found faithful. And so I say that because we want to be faithful stewards Inevitably, when we talk about stewardship and when we talk about money, the question comes up is, well, what about tithing? Is that an Old Testament thing only? Is that a New Testament thing? And so is that for us today? Do I, do, do I have to tithe? And so the question that I have when that question surfaces is, what is the question behind the question? What is the question behind the question? Because sometimes the question about tithing is really... Uh, is really this. What do I have to give to get God off my back? What do I have to give to earn his favor? What do I have to give in order to reciprocate, in order to get him to reciprocate? It doesn't sound like partnering in God's eternal work, does it? It doesn't sound like stewardship, like thoughtful and careful management of the resources he's entrusted to us. It it sounds like indentured servitude. Sometimes the question behind the question is this. What's the least I can do? What's the least I can give and still get an A on my spiritual report card? What's the least I can do? It's like the kid in the back of the room, right? In class. Raises his hand 30 minutes into the lecture. Says, teacher, is this going to be on the test? What does the teacher know right away? Kid's not paying attention and does not care at all about what he or she is learning. The kid wants to pass the test. Probably got to go home to parents and they're going to say, what would you get on the test? Some of us don't care about uh, generous and and sacrificial giving, but we do want to have some sort of sense that we passed some uh, made-up or imaginary spiritual report card. What's the least I can do? My kids ask when we're trying to get them to finish their dinner, how many bites? We just understand from the whole of Scripture that God's not after percentages and God's not after dollar amounts. God's after our hearts. Remember the widow and she puts a couple coins in into the offering and and, uh, people behind her are putting in way more. Jesus points her out and she says that she's given more than anyone because she gave uh, out of having so little 
that it was her heart to take whatever she had and, and give it to the Lord's work. It wasn't about the dollar amount of what went in. We just kind of have to keep coming back to it's not about the dollar amount. It's about our hearts. It's a lot harder to give with a pure heart. It's a lot easier to say, okay, just tell me how much and I'll think about doing it or I'll make a plan to get there one day. So God's after our hearts. He's not after our wallets. Second uh, Corinthians 9. Uh, two more passages and then we'll be uh, done this morning. Uh, how do we walk as faithful stewards? Second Corinthians 9. Let me read verses 6 uh, seven and eight. How do we how do we, how do we walk as faithful stewards? How do we think about uh, our work and the wealth that it yields? How do we think about our money? Apostle Paul says in Second Corinthians six or nine verse six. He says the point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, be generous. Generosity is all throughout the Bible. Be generous. Uh, Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Sometimes we read that verse and we think, oh great, he's telling me to give and he says I have to like it. Like, do you think that's the posture of your father towards you? Do you think that's the way that God relates to you? I'm going to give them all these ridiculous commands, and then I'm going to tell them to like it. Each one give as he has decided in his heart. I don't see a dollar amount there, and I don't, I don't see a percentage. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Something changes when we understand in our hearts that God loves us unconditionally. Something changes uh, in our hearts when we understand His grace and His mercy and what we've been saved from. It causes us to want to get involved. It causes us to want to get involved uh, with what He's doing. And, And so the degree to which we are desiring, the degree to which we have a heart to get involved is is really something that reveals to us what's in our hearts. Some of you have been in a a hotel where they have those magnifying mirrors. Um, I don't know what they're for. They're terrible. No matter what you think about yourself, if you look in one, you will think less of yourself. Some of you may own one. I apologize. <laughs> apologize again. But it, but it shows you what's really there, doesn't it? It shows you what's... Re- like, you can't hide. You can't hide from that thing. It shows you what's really there. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. Are you cheerful when you give? Give as the Lord has led you to give. If you had a conversation with the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to give towards? What kind of things have you put on my heart? What kind of work are you doing here in Roseburg, around the globe? How do I get involved with that? Verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Um, Give generously, give cheerfully, give confidently. God can meet your needs. You don't have to hoard what you have. God can meet your needs. You don't have to cling to it. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to protect it. God can meet your needs. Give generously. Give cheerfully. 
Give confidently. Uh, let's finish up with Philippians uh, chapter 4. I'm going to read starting in verse 17, Philippians 4. So Paul is, is talking to the church at Philippi and, and he tells them, you guys remember when I started out on this trip? He said, no one gave but you. You guys have funded this missionary trip. Like, thank you. What a great work. Then he says, you know how when I was in Thessalonica, I had a need and you met that and you gave repeatedly to those needs. Didn't have to, but you did. And in the course of this dialogue, Paul says, look, I I don't need it. I've learned how to get along with nothing and I've learned to get along with a wallet. It's got something in it. Verse 17, he says, uh, I'll back up. Except you only, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Paul says, not that I seek the gift. What I'm not after, I'm not after more money. Not that I seek the gift. He said, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What is the fruit that increases to our credit when we untangle our hearts from materialism? What is the fruit that increases to our credit when we free up that cluttered closet, when we free up our heart, when we free up our soul from the love of money, from the root of all kinds of evil? Don't we see Christ much more clearly? Don't we see what we have in Him much more clearly? Doesn't it give us more faith? when we put into practice His Word, when we walk in His ways and we watch Him be faithful, when we partner in His work and we watch Him answer requests and move in power and understand that we were a part of that. Doesn't it increase our faith? Doesn't it grow our confidence in the Lord? Don't we see Him more clearly? Don't we treasure the things that he's given to us much, much more when they're received as gifts from the Lord, when we don't need them to validate our fragile egos, but instead can enjoy them as gifts from the Lord? I would encourage you, if you ever need to teach, don't choose money to teach on. It's torture. So many times this week, and we gotta we gotta wrap up. Otherwise, I'd share more stories. Um, if you're convicted in any way, we talk about stewardship. If at any at any point this morning the Lord has said, hey, "This is you," um, sit in that position, sit with that conviction. Um, the awareness of our brokenness is a really powerful and profoundly important place uh, for us to just pause. Because it's when we're aware of our brokenness that our hands are most open, most free, and what most often happens is it's the love and the grace and the mercy of the Lord that washes over us. And as that happens, it's our faith that grows, that sense of his unconditional love and our unworthiness of it. It just binds us to him. 
Like it changes our heart. It changes our affections. It changes our desires. When we understand that Jesus met our biggest need, that he's all we need, it changes the way we look and think about what we need uh, in our lives. Uh, some of you know our youngest son is five and he has uh, tummy issues, digestive issues. We don't know what they are. Um, and so to try to figure out what's going on, we've started to pull back different things from him. The first thing that we're trying, because it seems like the cool thing to do, is gluten. So he's been off gluten for about a month, except for a few cookies that he's had out there. Thank you, whoever stuffed those donuts in his hand. Um, so he's been off for about a month, and I'm doing it with him to help, just to, to make it easier uh, for him. And so we've been we've been in it for three weeks, four weeks, and there's been some good fruit that has come from that. Now, before doing this, um, something that never looked attractive was gluten-free pizza. Has anyone ever seen gluten-free pizza? It's a salad on a plate. <laughs> There's no crust. I mean, it, it is there. Like, technically it's there, but it isn't. Never once have I said, you know what I would like? Give me some gluten-free bread. <laughs> Maybe a, a slice of pepperoni gluten-free pizza yes i like deep dish pizza when we get pizza at the frozen section it's the triple crust that's got cheese stuffed into it i get extra gluten right you know what's happened after three or four weeks of of eating eating gluten-free and seeing some benefits is is our desires are are changing you know what looks really good now gluten-free pizza from loggers craving for it it's fantastic Gluten-free bread out from Lighthouse Bakery. Our, our desires are changing. We've seen some fruit of some good things, and I want m- more good things. As you take a step with the Lord, as you start to untangle your heart from the love of money, uh, from materialism, you're going to be surprised at how your heart changes. Uh, you're going to be surprised at how the Spirit puts an insatiable desire for spiritual things in you. And you're going to see your Savior clearer. You're going to be more grateful for what you have. And it's going to empower obedience. And it's not going to be drudgery. You don't have to force me to eat gluten-free now. I want to. Sometimes it's gross. (laughs) But mostly, I want to. It's not drudgery. It's not painful. It's not difficult. It's good for me. I want more things that are good for me. As we take a step to untangle, as we take a step to declutter, and I'd ask you this morning, uh, how is the Lord, in what way is the Lord speaking to you? How do you need to declutter? In what ways do you need to untangle? Um, it's not going to be drudgery. Well, the first couple of days will be. <laughs> but your appetite, your, your desires are going to change. And the Spirit is going to put an insatiable desire for spiritual things in your heart. And you're not going to want to go back to deep dish pizza. It doesn't look good anymore. It's going to hurt my stomach. I don't want it. What does the Lord put on your heart this morning? How do you respond? If you're someone who's just upside down, like I said, financially, and your your financial boat is sinking and you don't know where the holes are, really, put financial counseling on the card and throw it in the thing. We'll give you a call this week. It's a real thing. It's a useful thing. Um, we've got to untangle and we've got to declutter. We've got to do it together. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And be nice if you would skip over difficult topics, but you don't. Um, And so I thank you that you love us enough to give us what we need, not what we want. Thank you that you love us enough to speak your truth into what is difficult, into what fractures marriages, into what pulls our hearts away from you, Lord, into the lesser things that we're in a sense addicted to, 
that keep us from you, that keep us from the better thing. And so help us even this week to untangle and to declutter. Lord, show us the things that are in that closet. Show us the things our hearts, hearts are wrapped around that we don't even know it. Lord, like that weed, we think it's pretty. We don't even know that it's detrimental to our spiritual health. Lord, as our sense of our brokenness grows, we pray your spirit would just wash us in your mercy and your grace and uh, your love and your faithfulness to us. Lord, that it would empower our obedience. Help us to see you clearer, less muddied. Lord, for your glory and our highest joy, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.